Our scripture came from the book of 1 Kings, the 17th chapter and the 8th through the 16th verses. And reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible, I'll take us through the text one more time. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. Only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Uh -huh. Then Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. The story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath is a well-known story that is often told in an effort to demonstrate God's favor to this poor widowed woman. It speaks highly of God sending his prophet Elijah to bring this woman and her son from the brink of starvation and allows us to have hope that what God did for them, he too can do for us. But while this is a very credible way to relate the story of God's goodness, I want to take an unusual approach to this story this morning and talk about it in the whole context of why it's even in the Bible in the first place. In fact, I want to show you three principles of how God works in this story in the hopes that you might understand a little more about what moves the heart of God. It is with this in mind that I'll be speaking today from the topic, a little bread cake. One of my favorite storytellers is Aesop. Uh, you will all be familiar with Aesop's fables. And the reason why he's one of my storytellers is because he has a way of using unusual characters, mostly animals, in, and, and show their interaction, which somehow speaks to us of a greater moral and higher truth. For example, one of his stories that I want to use illustratively today is a story of the hunter and the buck. A buck was once drinking from a pool and began admiring his noble figure in his reflection. Ah, the buck said, where can anyone find such noble horns as these with these beautiful antlers? I wish I had legs more worthy to bear such a noble crown. It is a pity that my legs are so slim and slight. At that moment, the hunter approached, and there was an arrow that went whizzing past the buck. 
and it startled him. And immediately he started to run and he took off in a flash with his nimble legs moving so fast that he was nearly out of sight of the hunter. But lo and behold, the buck did not see that there was a tree with branches hanging really, really low. And he ran under the tree and his antlers got caught in the low hanging branches, which allowed the hunter to catch up to him and to seize his prey. Now, as you listen to that brief story, you can easily tell that the story has less to do with the buck and the hunter, but it had everything to do with taking the things that God has given to us for granted. You see, in fact, the moral of the story is that we often despise that which is most useful to us. And this is human nature. We look around and we see we've got this. If I only had a little more of this, if I only had a little more of that, we are never satisfied with the things that God in his good pleasure has seen fit to give us. We always want what someone else had. If only I had legs that could really show glory to this crown. In the very same way, that I want us to take a look at the story of Elijah and the widow. But we must first understand the context of this encounter. You see, around this time, Ahab is king of Israel. And he is a great political and military leader. He receives good marks. He receives A+. Plus for defending Israel from all of its enemies, including the dreaded Syrians. Now, economically, Israel was also doing quite well, and they prospered under Ahab. And the reason why they prospered under Ahab was because Ahab formed an alliance with the Phoenicians. In fact, Ahab went so far as to marry one of those Phoenician women we know as Jezebel. And so Jezebel... She now is that woman that she is not satisfied with this wonderful economic prosperity that they're able to enjoy jointly with Israel. It's almost like you want to you, you, you wanna collude with another foreign nation in order to be able to achieve personal prosperity and gain. Is anyone hearing me this morning? Be very careful the alliances that you form because what happens is Jezebel, in all of her glory, was not satisfied with there being two different deities being worshipped in the land. You see, the Jews and the Israelites, they worship Jehovah God. They know what God has brought them from. They have history with Jehovah. But Jezebel, she worshipped Baal. And she wanted Baal to be the only God in the land. And so what she did was she went ahead and she destroyed almost all of the Hebrew prophets. Killed them all. Almost all of them. And even to make, to add insult to injury, not only did she destroy all of Israel's prophets, she also went and she got all of Baal's prophets, over hundreds of them, and bring them into the land. Now, now the important thing to keep in mind here, brothers and sisters, is that when Moses led the Israelites and he led them to the brink of Canaan, Moses gave them real strict instructions. Moses said, listen, you should not follow and go after these foreign gods. Moses told his people, listen, as they brought you, as God brought you through the Red Sea, remember 
the Lord thy God when you come into that land. Brothers and sisters, be very careful that when you start to walk into prosperity, that you now forget the God that brought you out of the land of slavery, out of the land of bondage. And before you know it, you may say, it's not a big deal if they worship Baal. We can worship Baal and we can worship Jehovah. But brothers and sisters, be ye not fooled. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that he shall reap. So the context of the story is about Israel and their slow diminishing of God and showing greater allegiance to this God called Baal. Now what you need to understand is as the Canaanite uh, culture developed, they practiced extreme cult activities you see, they believe that Baal is one of those nature gods. What that means is, if you serve Baal the way that Baal wants to be served, Baal would give the land rain and the land would prosper. Not only that, Baal was also a fertility god. Which means that if you serve Baal well, then you're going to have wonderful families and children in abundance because everyone knows that the size of a man's family is an indication of his prosperity. And so they wanted to worship Baal because what? Baal is going to make sure that their crops are good and that their children are fine. This kind of practice led them to things like male and female prostitution. This kind of thing led them to, 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 to doing even sacrificing children in honor of these pagan practices that were abhorrent to a holy Jehovah God. So the policies of Ahab and Jezebel were to promote Baal as the national deity and to diminish Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the anger of Jehovah was kindled. God saw how he had been good to the people. Manna in the desert when they needed it. Quail when they needed meat. Direction by night. Direction by day. Water from the rock. Out of Egyptian bondage. God had been good to the people. He made sure that they knew where they were going, why they were going, and he wanted to show them a land flowing with milk and honey. But the people forgot their God. Now, before I go too far, brothers and sisters, we can sit here and we can say, those Hebrews, hmm, naughty, 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 but don't look too far. Because all you need to do is look at your own doorstep, and you will quickly see a people, maybe yourself, who has forgotten the goodness of God in your life. So God raises up this prophet Elijah. And Elijah knows the reason for the drought. He knows the reason for the famine. Elijah knows that this is God's doing. And Elijah is watching the land suffer. 
Elijah is watching the animals suffer. Elijah is watching the children suffer. And in every direction, Elijah sees the deprivation and the destruction and devastation of the land. Nothing is able to grow. And in this drought, Elijah's heart is breaking because Elijah feels somewhat responsible. And he has no way of knowing how long this drought and this famine is going to last. Can you see, Elijah? Can you see a prophet of God? Can you see a pastor in a church wanting to see his people do well, but somehow the devil seems to have a stronghold and a foothold and the pastor is grieving because people in his congregation are dying and suffering and he knows that he can bring the word, the right word, but it just wouldn't come. Elijah is suffering too. As a matter of fact, what Elijah sees could be likened to what Joel the prophet talked about, where the canker worm and the swarming locusts and all these things come. He sees his devastation. And I can only imagine in Elijah's mind, it's like, when, Lord, are you going to send restoration? Yes, so God says to Elijah, Elijah, get up. I want you to go to this place east of the Jordan River, to this brook called Cherish. I want you to go there and I'm going to commission ravens, these birds, to, to feed you and you can drink water by the brook. But I need you to be in this holding pattern. I need you to stay there for a little while, just a little while, until the drought gets to the place where the people can't take it anymore. Can you see Elijah? Now, brothers and sisters, I want to paint the picture for you because what you're seeing is the prophet, the pastor, the priest is having some prosperity while the people suffer. Hmm. What is God doing? Why is God allowing his people to go through this? But there is a bigger context. So when we go back to the text, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise now, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the city gate, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called her and said, Please give me a little water in a jar that I may drink. In essence, stay with me, church. God sends his esteemed prophet to go beg for food from one of Zarephath's lowest and poorest. A widow gathering sticks with which to prepare the last meal for herself and her family. But, but, but it's where God sends him that also has Significance. Elijah's told at the command of the Lord to go to this place called Zarephath. Now, what you need to know about Zarephath is that Zarephath is the heart of Baal country. It's almost like someone wants to do something and they want to make an impression on the Roman Catholic Church. Where are they going to send you? To the Vatican. Right? They're going to send you to the Vatican if they want to make a statement to the Roman Catholic Church. It's like that. God is saying, I want you to go to Zarephath. Zarephath is the heart of Baal country. It is the place where if Baal, who is this nature God, who has all this power to command rain and lightning and prosperity and all that, if there is any place that Baal is going to be, Don Baal, it will be in Zarephath. God sends Elijah to Zarephath. So God is saying, Baal, you think you control rain. 
I'm going to send drought. Baal, you think you control this land. Zarephath, I, I, I'm going to send somebody right into the heart of your city. You see, all of this is God's way of attacking Baal in a very subtle way. But Israel's not paying attention. So make note of the fact. Don't move from here. God is in Baal territory. And then God sends a prophet to a widow in Baal territory. If you look at the text, it said, it said and, and he called to her. This is Elijah. And he said, please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called her and he said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, whoa, 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 whoa. As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. She is a woman with no inheritance, no rights. She's a woman with no provisions and is considered one of the most vulnerable in society. Yet, yet, yet we also know that she is a non-Israelite for she lives in, in, in a Gentile place and she he refers to Elijah by saying, the Lord, your God. So we don't even know if she has a personal belief in Jehovah. All we know about this woman is that she is suffering. She don't believe in no Jehovah. She's in a place where she's got drought. Her son is getting ready to die. She's a widow. She got nothing. And God commanded a poor, starving widow to prepare for the pastor. How is she supposed to do that? And with what? The widow is not the person that one would expect to be able to offer any kind of provision or support for a pastor. In fact, she can't even support herself and her son, let alone some man claiming to be a prophet of a God she don't even know. But look carefully with me again at what is happening here. Elijah asked her, get me a little jar of water. From where? The brook dried up. We're in a drought. Where is she going to get the water from? This was a severe famine. This seems to me like an impossible request from God. But it didn't stop there. Elijah said, oh, as you're on your way, bring me some bread. And she only had a little flour and some oil. What she had was not enough to make bread for him and for her, and for her son. Furthermore, to give him what he was asking for would mean sudden and ultimate starvation for her and her child. What was Elijah trying to accomplish? What is God trying to do? What is wrong with these pastors trying to ask these people in their congregation to put their last dime into the basket? They got nothing, preacher. If they put this money in the basket, they got nothing to give. They got no way to live. What are you doing, God? But I want to show you something. Keep in mind, Elijah's in where? Zarephath, the heart of Baal country. Making an impossible request to a poor, starving widow and her son. 
The appearance of a prophet, pastor, leader, teacher, whatever you want to call him, taking advantage of a poor defenseless widow or church member is striking and forces us to ask, what is God trying to prove? How many times you here feel like this widow at times in your life? Sometimes it seems like things keep going from bad to worse in your lives, yet the little blessing, the little blessing that we seem to have is the same little blessing that God is asking us to give up. Or it seems like God is only blessing the people that seems to have no need for his blessing. What on earth is God really asking us to give up the little that we don't have? This brings us to the first principle. And the first principle is that God will bring blessings from the most unexpected places. You see, we need to stop trying, make, trying to make an unpredictable God predictable. We need to stop trying to make a sovereign God our control and our genie. Most of us are not experiencing the fullness of God's provision because we keep looking for God in all of the wrong places. God is God. He can do anything except fail. Furthermore, what seems impossible to you is entirely possible to God. Is there anything too hard for God. That's the first principle. What I'm trying to tell you is that you keep looking for the, the, the blessing to come from your boss on your job. It might. You keep looking for the preacher to lay hands on you and your world is going to change for the better. It might. But meanwhile, you're sitting on the subway. A little person next to you says, could you move over a little bit and give me your seat? And you're tired. And you got no time for this. So you barely move over. Meanwhile, the person sitting next to you said, you know, I came up this morning and I had some money in my pocket. And I said, the first person that showed me kindness in this world I was going to bless. And it was not you. The point that I'm making is stop looking for a for, for, for the possible in your eyes and miss the impossible in God's eyes. No one expect this woman to be able to do anything for the prophet. No one. And that's why she was perfect. So brothers and sisters, let me encourage you right now. You may be in, a, you may be in Zarephath right now. You may feel like a widow with nothing, but I am telling you that what you have, God can do something with if you have the faith, the faith to put it in his hands. We see in the text, Elijah said to her, do not fear. Do, go, go do as you have said, but, but, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord of God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. We often say obedience is better than sacrifice. But did you know that, notice <laughs> that Elijah said to her, Make me a little bread cake first. Did you all notice that that is a picture of the tithe? Which serves to do what? Expose her faith. You see, here we have a widow in a land where there's a severe drought. Who probably doesn't even believe in Jehovah God. 
who has star a starving child at home is out collecting sticks to make a fire, who does not have anything more than a handful of flour and some oil, who is getting ready for her and her son to have their last meal. She's being asked to put aside everything she knows from a promise being made by a total stranger who claims to be a man of God who she does not know. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. You see, Elijah was asking her to do something that makes absolutely no sense. The bowl of flour will not run out. Where is the rest of the flour going to be coming from? The jar of oil will not be empty. Do you, Elijah, know someone who will be bringing oil for me? The Lord is going to send rain. Where in this severe drought? It's been three and a half years. When is he going to send rain? How do you know this? Brothers and sisters, all these issues I am raising is because I want you to know that you're asking yourself the same questions. When is God going to bring deliverance into my life? What is God asking me to do right now? God is asking you to trust him. By asking the widow to make him a little bread cake first, she's operating in the second principle. And that is, God always uses what you have. What you have. You say, listen, I don't have a Bentley, but I got a Honda. And I can get to where I need to go. Listen, I don't have a lot of money, but I know that I got some food on my table. You see, the problem with us Christians is we spend too much time looking at what we don't have without paying attention to what we do have. The Lord, listen, whatever it is that you have in your hand, whatever it is you have in your pocket, whatever you have in your house, whatever it is that you have, it is enough. It is enough for a God that can do all things. And God will never, ever ask you to give more than what he's promised to give to you. Otherwise, I don't want to serve that kind of God. By surrendering to God in faith, you open up the cosmos in a way that no devil, no demon, or even angels can because God has placed in each and every one of us that ability to reflect his image, the image of the almighty and holy God. Don't you know that when you speak, angels bow? Why? Because Jesus says, I go to my father and I sit at the right hand and all authority has been given to me. He blows his Holy Spirit, which now inhabit, inhabits every single one of you. And what I'm telling you, that there is greater in you than who is out in the world. But you must believe. And it's pointless to have all this power and not use it. Faith activates your power. You want to show, you want to prove something? You want to prove something? Do something that makes absolutely no sense in honor of God. Not for yourself or trying to prove that you are something more than who you are, but God will tell you, do something. And you're going to be like, I don't know, God. 
Let me give you a hint. Let me give you a hint. You know, I've been in ministry long enough now to have learned. Most people say, you know, I don't know when I hear God's voice. A lot of people will tell you, God is, you hear people say, God told me. And you're like, I don't know if it's God. I just hear these things, but I don't know if it's God. Let me give you a hint. 99.9% of the time, when God is asking you to do something, this is how you will know it is God. It's usually impossible. It usually makes absolutely no sense. And it's not within your strength to accomplish. All of these reasons, if God is asking you to do something and all of these things, three things line up, chances are it's God. Because if you could do it in your own strength, you don't need God. And God doesn't get glory out of your power. He gets it out of his. God specializes in the impossible. Can he open up barren wombs? Yes, he can. Can God raise the dead? Yes, he can. Is there something impossible in your life that you need to believe God for today? Well, I'm telling you, act on it. Act on it. Do something that makes absolutely no sense and watch him open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. You don't have room to receive. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everywhere we go around the world, people telling you, do this or do that. People are telling you, pray this or pray that. People are telling you on TV, send this or send that. Well, you can do all those things you want, but I'm telling you, it's only unless you do it God's way that it will make a difference. Which brings us to the third and final principle as I prepare to close. Everything that God is going to bless you will always come by the Lord's word. God is never going to ask you to do something that advances his kingdom. And it's not already recorded in the word. Hallelujah. He said it. I believe it. And all we need to do is to live it. This word, this book, this book that I hold in my hand is the word of God in all its inerrancy. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we are not blessed. Why? Because we hold the book, but we don't open the book. So, the three principles. The Lord will always bless you from the most unexpected places. That's number one. Number two, God will always use what you have. He's going to use what you have to bless you. So the question is, what do I have? Great question. And the third and final point is that the blessings of God will always come by his word. Now, as I shared with you before, there's an underlying message. Right? I started out that way that there was an underlying message that the text is less about the prophet and less about the, the widow, but it's about something that God wants to get to us. In other words, the moral of the story. You see, like the story of the book, God is giving us a much bigger picture in the story. He's asking us to not overlook the small things in life. He, he says, listen, the small things that I give to you is actually the most useful to you. But you can't see it because you're looking for the big things. You're looking for the big antlers. Meanwhile, the little nimble legs is what God has given you. And so I want you to see it in the text. You see, not only did God demonstrate that he's able to provide for Baal's people in Baal's territory, <laughs> just as easily God can provide for his people in his territory. But God also intentionally went to a place where he's not wanted, to a woman who has nothing. And he brings her deliverance through a little bread cake. She offers to this prophet 
a little bread cake. By giving this, this, this cake as a sacrifice, which was all that she had, it meant the death of her and her child. But by choosing to place it in faith in the man sent by God, she showed great faith in what Jehovah God could do with the little. You see, the little bread cake, you got to stay with me, the little bread cake seemed insufficient. The little bread cake seemed insignificant. The little bread cake seemed inadequate. But this little bread cake, when placed in the master's hand, became the source of all life and hope, not just for the widow and her son, but for the prophet of God as well. In a time when there was a severe drought that had taken over the whole land, a little bread cake. Let me see if I can bring it down your street. This little bread of heaven, this little bread of heaven was really a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this little bread cake didn't seem like much. This little bread cake didn't seem like much when they were beating him in front of the Jewish council. This little bread cake didn't seem like he could, he, he, he could raise a fist when the soldiers were beating him. This little bread cake seemed like a nothing burger when he was carrying that cross. This little bread cake, when they nailed him to that rugged cross and they pierced his side and his fingers, his hands, it seemed like nothing. But what you need to know <laughs> is that, let me show you the little bread cake. Because I don't think you're convinced. Verse 14 says, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. But this is the shouting part. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord, which is spoke through Elijah. Brothers and sisters, the story of Elijah and the widow was a picture that showed that the God of Israel would be the, their deliverer by using a Gentile woman of little to no means. Means that if God could deliver her, he could deliver the nation. He's saying, listen, this whole world is in a mess. This whole world is upside down. We got a crazy president. We got a good-for-nothing Congress. We got drought. People are struggling. We got mass incarceration. We're in a severe drought. But in God's great plan, he's looking for the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Because what we got is a little bread cake. And all we need to do is to put it in the master's hands and watch that little bread cake come alive and change the world. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you're excited as I am, but, <laughs> but I'm telling you right now that I got a little bread cake. And I'm not going to let you or anybody 
tell me that I don't have enough. I'm not looking at what I have today. For my Bible tells me that God says he knows the plans that he has for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us hope and plans to give us a future. So I am telling you right now, the little job that you have could be a little bread cake. It may not be what you want it to be, but it's getting you through for now. And if you can be faithful over that few little things, God will make you ruler over many. So I need a few people to join together with me with my little bread cake and your little bread cake and their little bread cake. And before you know it, we all together will enjoy this wonderful loaf of bread. Jesus Christ says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He is the bread of heaven, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, do not despise small things or small beginnings. You know what this church was like before we all came together. And this church, we have not yet even seen the greatest days yet. Why? Because we just believe. We just believe in our little bread cake. Amen?